Rooted in Revenue with your host today, Susan Finch. Susan Finch here, your host today for Rooted in Revenue. Well, I was approached to, you know, when you do podcasts, you get approached a lot by all these podcast booking agents and stuff. And most of the time it's like, delete, 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 delete. But Deanna <laughs> Shimoda, when hers came up, like, oh, this is somebody I can get into a conversation with. I would enjoy this. She would bring something to the audience. She would bring something to me that I can learn from. And Deanna is the owner, founder, president of Growth Mode Marketing. Beautiful branding. Her site looks great. You will want to visit that. You'll want to follow her on LinkedIn. And we are going to talk today about ideal customer profiles, creating them, what you need to know. And this is specifically for smaller businesses under 100 employees. Because I find even under 50 employees, people have a hard time knowing what they don't know, what they think they know, and reevaluating it, and remembering that they need to ask other people too. It's like, are you sure I have this right? Because we need to check stuff out, especially when we're newer in business or we're trying to go to our next level and expand. And we can't do that without knowing what we're dealing with and who we should be going after. So Deanna, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Susan. I'm so glad to be here. Well, this topic is one of your top topics that you like talking about. So I, how often are you talking about ideal profiles? Uh, I talk about ideal customer profiles quite a bit, actually, because as a demand generation agency in the B2B space, you know, when we're developing out a demand generation engine for our clients or talking to prospects in the market, the ideal customer profile is a core strategy piece to really help organizations hyper-focus. And the reason you need an ideal customer profile is because if you're going to market and it's a very crowded market, and I use HR technology as an example because we do a lot of work in that area and there's 21,000 plus technology solutions out there, right? Like it's a very, very crowded market. It's hard to stand out and it's got to be very overwhelming for those HR tech buyers out there to look at their options. An ideal customer profile helps to narrow down the focus so that your content and your marketing programs can be hyper-focused so that you're not trying to be everything to everyone, which I think is a mistake that many business leaders and business owners make. And, you know, they do it with good intentions because they're thinking like, oh, my total addressable market in this case of HR technology, they'd be like any company that has employees. <laughs> do you realize how broad that is, right? So you're putting this marketing out there and you're building up this content that's trying to be everything to everyone. And what happens is you're not actually resonating with anyone because your message is too diluted. And so the ideal customer profile, like if you're looking to grow in that crowded market, narrowing down who your audience is actually will be an accelerant for you because you'll be able to create content and messaging that is hyper-focused and therefore will resonate with a segment of your total addressable audience. I know for me, I have many services I offer, but I've also tucked away quite a few because I don't want clients that are looking for those things. I have things I really enjoy doing and that I'm exceptional at. And 
do you find that that I mean that's a key factor I would think too in determining or at least it has to come into play doesn't it if they don't enjoy doing something even though oh this could be your ideal market we hate doing those things (laughs) and how much does that come into play yeah you know I think as you look at like who is your ideal customer profile it's, it's important to first understand what is an ideal customer profile? And and then I can explain how you choose one, but it's the type of company that would be the best fit for your products and solutions. And again, going back to that HR technology example, yes, anybody with employees might be a great fit for your HR technology solution, but you shouldn't be trying to sell to everybody because that market is really crowded. So when you're looking at how do we define that ideal customer profile, you've got to take in all the factors quantitatively and qualitatively, you know, and if you have an existing customer base, starting there and looking at it, if there's a reason you don't like working with a certain company, they're probably not your ideal customer profile. Either that or you don't understand your business, right? Like if they really should be your ideal customer profile, there's a reason for that. And, you know, there's a lot of factors to look at profitability, how easy are they to work with and support? How long was that sales cycle? Like all of those factors that you can evaluate and measure go into it to help you pinpoint what type of company really is the best fit that you want to attract more of. Have you, do you have any stories of a company that thought that this was their ideal customer profile and then you start working with them? It's like, oh, are you kidding me? And they have to (laughs) shift. What I see a lot is a company when they first start talking about an ideal customer profile, um, they'll be like, you know what? We work with Delta. We need more clients just like Delta as an example, you know, when you dig in and it's like, well, why do you want more clients like Delta? They're like, because they're our largest client. They spend the most. (laughs) Okay. They're also, you know, probably a fortune 500 company. Right. And it's, it's not uncommon for companies to be like, we want more fortune 500 companies, or we want more companies like this one because they spend more than everybody else. I think what can be surprising to company leaders as you start to dig in and do the analysis is that those companies you think you want more of are not actually your best bet. And the reason being like, as you dig in, you might find, okay, yes, Delta brings the most revenue in, Mm -hmm. but they're not the most profitable because they're really complex. They take four times as many staff to support as any of the other clients. They took two years to close the deal. And, you know, in reality, if you're looking at high growth, you don't have two years to wait to bring in, you know, every customer, right? And so you take a step back and you look at it and you may find, you know what, companies that are actually in the middle of the pack Mm -hmm. tend to be our best clients because one, they tend to be very satisfied with our solution, meaning we we fit their needs really well. Two, they're efficient based on their organizational structure. We can really put a small, slim team on them. There's high profitability and they take three months to close. Now, if you're a high growth organization, does it make sense to go after the big monsters that take two years to close? Or can you add a bunch of companies that take 
three months to close, right? So you've got to factor all of those things in. And for some organizations, honestly, the deltas do turn out to be the best fit. But I think for a lot of organizations, what they find when you really dig into the quantitative and qualitative data around your customer base, they find out, okay, when I step and look at all these factors, these are the type of clients we want to attract more of, not necessarily biggest spenders, you know? Oh, I do. And I have talked with several CMOs, CROs, people that are looking for new positions in other companies and said, yeah, the job security sometimes is really great with those large companies, but I can't make a difference. I can't make any change. I can't make any mm-hmm. progress because they're so mired in procedures. Yeah. And if you're the type of person, type of company that likes to get your hands into things and develop those relationships, you need to know that to me, you need to know that about yourself because otherwise you're always going to be disappointed with your hands tied constantly in procedures. And some companies like you were saying are perfect for that. They love that. When did you know that being a demand gen agency was for you? Uh, well, you know, I, I feel like I've I've had some hard knocks and I've I've learned the hard way, right? I, so growth mode marketing has been around for eight years and we started out as a full service B2B marketing agency. So read between the lines, trying to be everything to everyone, right? And there is no lack of marketing agencies that say they're full service out there. And we found one from our own marketing. It was hard to stand out in the crowd with everyone. And two, it was hard to actually be good at all of the different areas of marketing and to scale it as we were bringing clients on. So about a year ago, I had a business partner. She decided to exit the business. And at that time, I took a step back and said, okay, it's an opportunity to redefine who we are Mm -hmm. and to rethink how we go to market. And so um, we became a demand generation agency, started making the transition about a year ago because I saw the opportunity. I mean, we've worked with clients for eight years. Before that, I was on the corporate side running marketing departments in the B2B space, specifically in software and technology. And the old playbooks of lead generation where you have the SDR models and doing cold outreach, you know, via email calls, gating content, all of that stuff just wasn't producing the results that it used to. And we found like even doing those programs for clients, they'd come to us, they're like, help, we need revenue. We need it yesterday. Find us leads. The quality of the leads that you get with lead generation is questionable and more so now than it was in the past. And so it wasn't moving the needle the way it needed to. And I saw that and I saw how buyer behavior was evolving and it just seemed like demand generation was the right direction to go for the sake of our clients and being able to help them focus on long-term growth. So at the corporate end then, that seems to have been your shiny spot that you enjoyed the most too, was the demand gen piece of it. Managing that, filtering through it, discerning what the good solutions were to make that happen. Right. Interesting. Now that's a, I mean, that's a great path and that you took, you know, some people it's like, oh, my partner left. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> I mean, you turned it around immediately. It's like, okay, this is the time we're, we're making this decision. Now we're going to make this change. Yeah. Now. 
We're going to evaluate where we want to focus and probably let go of several things you used to do. It doesn't mean you can't do it, but you're not going to be touting this is what we do. Right. You're staying very focused on the demand gen end of it. That's, I'm excited for you. I mean, congratulations on being able to get to that place and to be able to turn it around in a year being hyper-focused. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always a work in progress, like any business, right. As we continue to refine our services and, and even define for people and educate them on like, what's the difference between lean generation and demand generation? Because I think for a lot of people, you know, probably some of your listeners that are like, isn't that the same thing? Yeah. (laughs) And it's not, you know, it's, it's actually very different strategies. Lead generation is really like you're, you're chasing prospects and you're going out and asking them for a sales meeting, trying to pull them into your sales process. So it's very short term as far as trying to bring leads in the door now. And demand generation is about building brand awareness, credibility, and trust in the market, even when prospects aren't in market to buy, so that they invite you into their buying process. And they're asking you for an appointment instead of you chasing them and asking them for an appointment. So it's more of a long-term strategy and pretty critical if high growth is a priority for you. Thank you for summing that up the difference rather quickly, because as I said, the beginning, I wanted to focus on smaller businesses, small to Mm -hmm. mid-size. And yes, that's a relative term because some people think a mid-size business has 500 team members. It's like, okay, that's (laughs) mid-size. For me, that's big. (laughs) So somebody starting out 50 or fewer employees, let's, let's bring it down to agencies that can include contract workers, gig workers, everybody else, people involved in making things happen for your clients. What would be some of the steps? First, how do they know they need to do this, that what they're having isn't working? And what would be some of the initial steps you would recommend to them to get them started before they before they even engage an agency like yours? What can they do themselves before going, help? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, I think some red flags that it's probably time to take a step back and define an ideal customer profile are if it feels like we don't have great brand awareness in the market or struggling to get traction. If you are bringing leads in the door, if there are really slow sales cycles, like they tend to be really long. A lot of those leads fall out of the pipeline and your close rates are low. Those are red flags to look at. Basically, if you don't have leads coming in the door sufficient to sustain you, then I would recommend taking a step back and saying, okay, who's our ideal customer profile? And ideal customer profile is different than a buyer persona. And I call that out because again, I think that's another, if you're not living and breathing marketing every day term that sounds like it's the same thing. It's not. An ideal customer profile is the best fit companies. A buyer persona are roles within a company. So you need an ideal customer profile before you define the buyer personas Because the ideal customer profile is about how do we narrow down who we're going to go after. And some people will be like, oh, we just need to pick a niche. 
you know, okay, I, you know, I talked about the HR technology space. So they might say, oh, you know what, we're going to work with companies that are manufacturing companies and we're going to sell our software there. There's so much more to an ideal customer profile than that, you know, and we can certainly go into the details of that. But you need to define those things because what that does is that is like the building block or the foundation for everything else you're going to do from a marketing perspective. And the whole point of it is to get you hyper-focused so that from a marketing standpoint, you then go out and you define your unique point of view in the market specifically for that ideal customer profile. So if you were going after manufacturing companies, how do you talk to them, you know, and, and you're going to define things like what's their organizational structure typically look like? What are the roles that tend to be involved? What are the business factors that affect these type of companies? You're going to define all these kind of characteristics of a company. And then you're going to go and you're going to develop content and marketing programs targeted to them and get them in the places where those type of companies are going to seek out research. And if you do it really well, meaning you stay hyper-focused on that ideal customer profile and you execute really well on the content and the distribution pieces of it, you'll start to attract more of those right fit companies and to build that up. And one caveat I, I will give to companies because I, I hear this all the time. They're like, well, we don't want to box ourselves in. Because again, remember anybody, you know, that HR technology company, anybody who has employees, we can sell to them. Why wouldn't we sell to them? So I always call out for companies. This doesn't mean you can never sell to someone outside of your ideal customer profile again. It means your marketing is focused and hyper-targeted on that. And I can tell you... Once you master that, you can add another ideal customer profile and you keep kind of building blocks from a marketing standpoint to be able to speak their language and really resonate with them overall with your messaging because you're targeting it. But it doesn't mean other prospects won't come to you and be like, I like what you're doing. I can tell you the other day, outside of our marketing, someone comes to me and they're like, I see you only work with XYZ companies. Do you work with others? Yeah, actually we do. But our marketing, you know, we're following our own advice. We're hyper-focusing it to attract more of that type of client so that we can stand out amongst all the competition that's out there, specifically for a segment of the market. I'm glad that you brought up that people don't have to think that they are just stuck in that one box. And even if you review the box and modify it, that you can add to it yeah, without going crazy and just saying, well, then we can just keep going and going. No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> because you want to be known as a specialist, no matter how mm -hmm. big your company is, that this is where you really shine. Doesn't mean, Like you said, it doesn't mean you can't do other things. But you need to evaluate where your team skills are. Where can they focus? I mean, can you add another box that they would be any good at just because you think that's going to be, or do you need to add people that can help fill this new direction you want to include? Yeah. I mean, that, that all comes into play for the bigger picture of this. Once you've identified your initial ideal customer profile, and then where do you want to go next? Right. And how do you prepare for that? I see that even with my own marketing. There are times, even my family, they'll say, you know, you're really good at these things. Our company excels at these things. You should make that louder. 
And I have to decide, but do I want that to be louder? Yeah. <laughs> and how profitable are those things? And are people willing to pay what it costs to do those services? I have really weird niche services I do and not everybody's willing to pay for it. Yeah. But I enjoy it and I'm really good at it. So it's those. Yeah. Well, it, it's a real conundrum as a business leader, or business owner, because it's okay. Everybody needs leads, right? We all need leads. We all need them yesterday, especially, you know, when the economy isn't as uh, vibrant as it has been in the yes. past. So it's hard to wrap our heads around. Okay. So you're telling me I need to hyper-focus and I'm going to focus on this particular type of company. I have clients that aren't in that. Are they going to see my marketing and be like, well, clearly you're not a specialist in us. Why would I stay with mm. you? Our prospect's going to come to our website interested in us and then see, oh, well, clearly you specialize over there. That's not me. Like the, the worry is that it's going to detract other companies. I struggle with that myself, even though I know for a fact, because I work with lots of companies that taking this approach works, but you have to be able to take that leap of faith, right? You have to understand you're not boxing yourself in, you're getting better at marketing your company and building brand awareness and trust. And you need to, because the reality is these are statistics for the B2B space. I imagine there's, you know, a similar shift on the B2C side as well, but people are making up to 80% of their purchase decision before they're willing to engage with a sales rep. And Gartner Research has indicated that 72% of B2B buyers would prefer to have zero interaction with a sales rep <laughs> during the purchase process at all, right? So if you really stop and think about it, and just as consumers ourselves, how often are you like, I'm going to buy in a year and a half, let's start talking to that sales rep now. You're like, eh, I guess when it's time to buy, I need to talk to a sales rep now, right? Like everyone does it relatively reluctantly. That's how people are buying today. And so they're going out and they're making 80% of that purchase decision digitally on their own. They're going and talking to people. They're researching through your website, through third-party channels, through dark social. You can't control that the way, you know, in the past when a sales rep would come in early on in the game and influence them on a one-to-one -one level. That means your marketing really needs to speak to them. And you've kind of missed the boat if you haven't built that trust and that credibility long before they're in market to buy. I agree. And I see this, my, for some reason, my two niche industries are real estate and healthcare. And I've watched the brokers go through this, you know, from starting out in the heydays where you can pick, I only want to deal with families and veterans and this, <laughs> and then to the point where it's like, I'll take anything I can get because it's so scary yeah. right now. And watching them when they stay true though, to what they're best at, where their market is, what sets them apart, where what allows them to stand out. Mm -hmm. They can weather it a little bit and continue to develop, like you said, all the marketing materials. How are we going to serve that goal client? Are we going to make brochures? Are we going to have webinars? Are we going to have all these things and become known as that partner? And in real estate alone, people don't need, like you said, they don't need the agents. They're looking for houses on their own. They're taking the virtual tours. They're doing right. everything. You become more of the guide. 
the advisor, the, the person to help save them time and mistakes with paperwork. And when people have seen that shift in their markets and their role in the market, they need to be okay with adapting to that, accepting it, and mm-hmm. making it work to their benefit. Right. Like I, I imagine people buying houses now, they come and they're like, these are the five houses I want to look exactly. at. You know, that changes the real estate agent's job significantly from years ago when they would push them listings and be like, how about this one and this one and this one? They were much more of uh, showing them the way before. And now right. they're being used as, well, I have to have you. Exactly. <laughs> to, to be able to get into the house to see it and to negotiate the paperwork. So, you know, you come along on my buying process. <laughs> exactly. But that does shift and that that's where it doesn't mean your ideal customer profile has changed. It -hmm. means the tactics to serve them and be of value to them. You need to reevaluate regularly, stay on top of it so that you are not just staying back here status quo like everybody else in your field. You want to make sure that what is it that's going to set me apart constantly? And that's what you do plays into that without having to be a full service marketing agency. What I do plays into that. Like, okay, we're going to make some things to support these people. Now we've told them who they need to talk to. They know who they need yeah. to talk to, they prefer to, but how they're doing it is so 2003. We've got to help bring them forward. Yep. Buyers, consumers in general are spending significantly more time digging in and doing their own research. And there's a reason there were, car vending machines, right? You think Carvana. It's because people don't want that face-to-face experience anymore. You know, it's just a reality. They want to go in and make their decision and walk out and make it quick and efficient. And I don't care what industry you're in. I think that probably applies across everything. And and if you're questioning what we're saying, stop and think about how you like to purchase things. And I'm not saying there aren't people out there who don't love going into a car dealership and haggling and, you know, going through the process and driving all these different cars, there still are those people out there, but the vast majority of people are much more moving towards that. I want a hands-off experience. I want to control the process. I don't want to be pushed from a sales perspective into making this decision. It's my decision to make. Exactly. And it's about the trust. Mm-hmm. And no matter where we find our ideal customer, no matter what we're going after, that if the trust has been broken, as it has in the car industry, which is what has led to that, and everybody compares that experience to that, well, I want everything like that because I hate dealing with those yep. people. I trust them. <laughs> I'm always you know, told to buy the shiny you know, car coding and the extra warranty and all those things yep. because of those old tactics that they will not let go of. It has ruined, actually, the b2c industry for many things many large purchases for that exact reason and that's the other thing when you're talking about your ideal customer profile our customer we share customers with other people and maybe their ideal customer profile is ours so but what they do then affects it and it affects it for us Mm -hmm. and we have to also look at that how are people stepping back how are they being jaded or influenced by how others share the same customer base do business right i I mean that's so true 
you you can you know whether it's in personal or business have a bad experience that then you're going to kind of apply to everything like oh man salespeople are always pushy right no that's not true but that is the experience they have at this place that's what they're kind of going to expect moving forward and that's why we've created this culture you know especially in the last few years of people pushing back and saying, I don't want to be pulled into your sales process. I will invite you into my buying process when I am ready to invite yes. you in. Uh, does that feel good? <laughs> as a buyer? Yes. As a seller? No. No. Deanna, <laughs> no. this visit has been lovely. I can't believe how fast our time went. I know. I would like to give people a call to action. For one thing, go to growthmodemarketing.com. You can find Deanna on LinkedIn and just look for growth mode marketing because she has branded herself really well and her company <laughs> and what they do. You will want to take advantage, sign up for anything she offers you. Give her your name and never, she's not going to sell it to anybody else because she's worked too hard to get you to no. her site. So we have to stay <laughs> right there and you can unsubscribe at any time, but go see what she has to offer. Figure out what you need to learn and to see where you are at today and get your ego out of it this is for your business success your business growth and you can do it if you're willing to maybe step back and look at things a little differently and realize you have some things to learn still i'm very glad you were a guest today thank you thank you i really appreciate the opportunity to come and chat about ideal customer profiles and all the marketing that goes with that fantastic everybody you can find us on our favorite podcast apps look for rooted in revenue you can also find me on linkedin i am just susan m finch or you can go to susanfinch.com we'll look forward to having you join us for the next episode thank you so much for giving us your time today never miss an episode Check out rootedinrevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. So go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing and your online presence. <laughs>